out of Oklahoma City, you're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where people gather around a table or perhaps just generally lounge about a living room and discuss the films that you will never discuss in a film studies course. Today, we're looking at lesser John Michael McDonough as we look at his latest film, War on Everyone. Uh, which is, well, it's a lesser McDonough. We'll just say that at this point. Uh, but before we get any further, we should probably identify those of us who are speaking to those of you. Who are you there speaking to those of them? Hello, my name is Dalton Stewart, and um, I am not comfortable uh, quoting any of the lines of dialogue from the uh, two main characters in this film. We've had a lot of that lately, but uh, th- that's what it is. Uh, my name's Justin Sells, and I totally agree. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Although I, I do very much like Michael Pena and Alexander Skarsgård in this film. I think they're both quite good. Yeah. Um, just don't want to say any of the things they said. No. No, some pretty gross stuff. Yeah, I don't like any of that at all. So this is what's going to happen, dear listener. If this is the first time you've tuned into the Good Trash Genrecast, brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network, you are going to discover that this is not a review show. It is an analysis show, which means we are going to talk about how things end. We are going to do the thing that you don't do in reviews, which is spoil. However, there will be a brief reprieve from all things spoilerific. And the way that we do that is this. We give a quick synopsis from the voice of the Dalton Theater. That's Dalton as a dollar theater. That's me, baby. And then, after that, we'll get, give quick thumbs up, re, thumbs up, thumbs down reviews like you might experience in a regular sort of review show slash website, etc. And then we're going to uh, take a little bit of a break. We're going to play a game. And that gameplay that we begin to do will expand our conversation outside of this film into other films, but it might involve the mildest of spoilers of either this film or other films in question. And then we get down to business, and you'll hear a cue of a song called Business Time. And once we get down to business, all spoiler embargoes are off, and that is your warning. So, without any further ado, or adon, or whatever, uh, ado is a strange word, but... So it's a weird one, yeah. I digress on that. Um, Dalton Stewart, voice of the Dalton Theater. Let's go ahead and hear that synopsis. Two corrupt cops set out to blackmail and frame every criminal unfortunate enough to cross their path. Events, however, are complicated by the arrival of someone who appears to be even more dangerous than they are. Okay. So, the big bad guy. Yeah, we, there's a big bad in this film. So, yeah, we had to take care of big bad. So, all right. I've already sort of let my perver- yeah, my proverbial cat out of the bag and said it's Lesser McDonough. But Dalton, what do you think? What do you think of War on Everyone? Oh, it's very not great. Um, which, again, was disappointing because you and I are both huge films, uh, huge fans of John Michael McDonough's film uh, Cavalry, um, which is really hard to say without saying Calvary. Well, you said it right the second time. Oh, crap. Cavalry versus Calvary. Cavalry are mounted horseback uh, soldiers. Calvary is the hill on which Christ died. Yeah, it's it's quite hard. Um, In Latin. It's hard words. Um, But we were both huge fans of that film, which uh, was starring uh, Brendan Gleeson, set in Ireland, just a really remarkable film. Um, Neither of us have seen uh, The Guard, 
also starring Brendan Gleeson, also set in Ireland. Um, but we are very big fans of uh, Martin McDonough, John Michael's brother, who uh, did Seven Psychopaths and In Bruges and has the forthcoming uh, three billboards uh, outside Ebbing, Missouri later this year. So we're fans of these filmmakers, right? I mean, we, Dustin and I, have been following their careers for some time now. Um, so for war on everyone to be kind of a dud bummed me out. It really did. Um, well, you know, Alfred Hitchcock occasionally makes a movie like I Confess. Yeah, I mean, everybody's had a couple of stinkers, for sure. Um, it, it's not terrible. It's just, you can tell why this movie didn't get a wide release, though, that's for sure. Like, yeah. Um, and why Saban ends up being the distributor. <laughs> right. I mean, this this movie kind of came and went with very little fanfare. I get it. Uh, I get that now. Um, which, again, is weird, because I feel like The Guard and... Calvary. That's right. Um, both uh, really, I mean, they were both smaller releases too, but I definitely remember them having some some heat behind them when they came out. Um, I vaguely remember hearing about War on Everyone and had not heard about it again until we realized it was streaming and that we were going to do it this week. So um, I see why now, uh, because it's not great. Um, as I mentioned a second ago, Pinion and Skarsgård are v- both very good in the film. Um, they're having a lot of fun, but it definitely feels... Like a movie that's really should have come out about oh eighteen years ago. Oh yeah, I mean it, or even you know twenty. I mean it feels like a movie that should have come out sometime between ninety five and two thousand and two and two thousand. It is just another nineties movie. Yeah, it's it's very much a oh sassy dirty cops. Okay, yeah, I got it. It's uh, it's training day. If um, Hoyt had decided to go ahead and team up with um, Alonzo. <laughs> um, and now they're real funny together. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's the worst cops. It's um, Bad Lieutenant times two, um, but funny. Yeah, it's funny, and it is funny. It's very – I mean, it's, yeah, it's the jokes mostly land. Some of them are a little gross, and I feel like that's the movie um, really struggling to get its point across um, and still have something to say about it, and we'll get into that more later. Uh, for me, I, I think – a problem is a central conceit of funny, dirty cops. And in a time where um, police violence is an issue we are really trying to work through as a society right now, I don't know that now is the time for this movie, um, for a movie where dirty cops are silly. Don't get me wrong. I think now is the time for a movie about police corruption. Um, I, I think it's more a time for a movie like Bad Lieutenant or even Rampart with Woody Harrelson from a few years back. Um I think taking the piss out of um, societal um, oppressors is good. Don't get me wrong. I think there's something to be said for that. Um, But despite the fact that these are both um, drug-addled idiots, they're both quite competent. Um, They're both very good at being dirty cops. So that kind of makes it hard to take the piss out of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I'm with you. I – the the movie does pass the particular comedy test that I have, which is the six laugh test. Yeah. I mean, almost immediately, I wonder what sound a mime makes when you hit him. Yeah, it's That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. And uh, it turns out, you know, mimes will break character finally if you hit them with a car and yeah. they lose their teeth. Um, I also like the uh, immediate cut to the opening credits that are sequenced like the opening credits to a TV show where it's just scenes from later in the movie. Right. I kind of thought that was fun. That's fun. Uh, it, the way they, they sort of did the Beverly Hills Cop stuff with the strip clubs and the, and, and the chase, you know, the foot chase that follows. Yeah. Like the way it's, it, it's, it's aware of all these, the tropes of all the mm-hmm. things that we always do. And we know we're doing it. We're winking while we do it. And that, again, is very 90s. It's also very McDonough. But it's also it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, so that that's all okay as far as I'm concerned. But it is 
two characters that don't have any sort of redeemable qualities. I mean, I don't like any of them. No, they're both pretty terrible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're just bad, bad people, and so I don't, I don't care for them at all. Um, there are, there is the ickiness that's going on. There is the way in which it is very much that sort of Tarantino Scorsese post uh, both of those guys school of action, which is a, a dynamic camera. It's got some motion. It's got some fun. It's got Paul Reiser doing the thing that a uh, superior officer does always. And you again, they're, and, and they and and McDonough's aware that he's yeah. having Paul Reiser do the obvious thing. Like right. the movie knows what it's doing, but that doesn't always. Self-awareness does not a more interesting movie make all the time. Being meta does not inherently make you better. Right. Sometimes it makes you worse. It's like you know better, so why are you still doing it? So it, it feels a little tired. There is a brilliant moment in the movie mm-hmm. uh, towards the end where we see a, a long tracking bravura shot of our villain leaving his bedroom, walking downstairs. Yep, that one's really good. And But it has nothing to do with anything else that's going on. It made me think, why did we not spend more time with this Doing villain? stuff like that. Um, there definitely are – this movie feels like there was a lot cut out. Um, yeah. It feels like a lot of, there's a lot of connective tissue that's been lost. Um, and, and because of the what seems to be a fairly small budget on this film, I'm guessing some of that connective tissue is probably cut but they in still the scripting went to process. Iceland. Yeah, well, exactly. But they just kind of quickly and without much fanfare, and then they're quickly back. The movie only clocks in a you know less than an hour and forty minutes. Hour thirty eight. I, I feel think, like there's yeah. at least another fifteen minutes on the page, probably. Yeah. That's that's totally fair. And again, that that lack of connection, it just it feels like a mess. When we finally see a redemptive moment from our two lead characters, it is ham fisted mm-hmm. and easy, mm-hmm. but not easy in the good way. It was just this is a way yeah. that sort of justifies the sort of uh, orgy of violence that the film concludes. Yeah, with. and and we'll 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 talk about that motivation later. Um, I will say that I am a big fan of the the climax of this this film, which is a fairly violent uh, sequence. Um, I like two things in particular about it, and again, we'll talk about those later um, when we get into business time. Um, I feel like um, I wouldn't. You wouldn't be mad if you watched it. No. I don't think. I think if if you're into this kind of thing, I mean, if if you are into parsing through this weird shock wave that is. Um, 1992 to 1995 if you're if you're still interesting in tracking that shockwave um of things uh, of things like tarantino and soderbergh bursting onto the scene you know if you're interested in that shockwave this is interesting i mean if if you you love watching movies that are influenced by reservoir dogs and out of sight you're gonna have a good time with this i think yeah, I think if I, you're less interested in watching the the children of of those films then yeah go 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 maybe skip this one and uh stick around at the end of this show when we tell you what you should watch instead. Yeah, that's probably a fair point. So, well, there you go, dear listener. That's sort of our general biases that we're, we're kind of meh on this particular film um, as a group. And it's a film that uh, you'll probably notice we didn't talk much on the plot about. There's not really much of a plot. No. Um, so that's why I don't feel like we're not going to really need to talk about it a whole lot. Um, so just go ahead and continue to enjoy your listening because um, I'm imagining no one who's listening right now has actually watched this movie. Um, well, go ahead and hang with us because I think 
Uh, you don't need to watch this movie to get something out of the conversation we're about to have. Yeah, and I don't think spoilers are particularly injurious. No, not particular, for this yeah, movie. At all. But this is the thing, that we're having this conversation right now, and the reason why we're having it is because we want you to be a part of it, and that's why we're inviting you to stay along. Absolutely. Uh, despite the spoilerage, and we want you to be part of that conversation via the magical means of social media. So, Dalton, tell us where that where we can be found there. Well, I can certainly do that. Um, we are on Twitter, first and foremost, at good underscore trash. Uh, that is where we uh, do lots of stuff. We uh, keep connected with you, our listeners, uh, but we are also over on uh, Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash GTM. Um, we are also over at um, all of our good goodness is over on the websites at uh, goodtrashmedia.com. That's where you can find um, the full episode posts, um, some writing from uh, uh, Dustin and Arthur and our, our very own Frightful Femme. Um, all kinds of fun stuff like that. You can find uh, show archives. Um, so go over there. Uh, maybe leave a comment on the episode page itself. Um, you can also find us um, on iTunes. You're just going to want to search Good Trash um, on iTunes. It'll bring up everything we've ever made for you. There you go. So uh, be part of that conversation. But enough of this foolishness, guys. It is time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. And we're back, dear listener, and this week's game is our favorite movie henchman. Uh, That's right, favorite movie henchman, brought to you by War on Everyone. War on Everyone. I don't know about you, but Caleb Landry Jones makes me so mad I could do a war on everyone. He is um, despicable. He's got the fucking most irritating face in the world, and I I actually really like him as an actor. Um, I've seen him in quite a few things now uh, at this point. Uh, Caleb Landry Jones, by the way, uh, plays uh, Russell Birdwell, who is the the, the lead right-hand man to um, our, our... our villain so ominously teased in the synopsis, uh, this British lord who does crime for funsies. Um, his his right hand man Russell, played by Caleb Landry Jones, is the most irritating in the world. Um, just everything about him, it really just lights you up. Um, I want to punch his eyeball. You out. probably would recognize him more uh, as a Jeremy and Get Out. Um, the the brother and and get out is kind of his more notable work, but he's 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 just now. I mean, he's been working for the last five six years or, sh- or so. Um, he, he you know he showed up in like two episodes of Breaking Bad. He's got a bit part um, in the Social Network, so he he's been around for a little bit now. But I, I think over the last like three or four years, um, he's really started to to get a lot of work, and I like him quite a bit. Um, but good God Almighty, is he irritating in this movie? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we're not really going to be talking about irritating henchmen. We're going to talk about the henchmen we kind of love, maybe sometimes love I kind of love to hate him, though. That's, I, that's yeah. uh, He irritated me in a way that I, I, I hung with, I mean, that he I was enjoyed. good, yeah. We, yeah. We're definitely, I liked him quite a bit. I'm just saying um, he's that good of a henchman that, uh, it's, that's, yeah, henchmen you love to hate. Yeah, Or there you go. that um, just the, the most notable ones you can think of. Or you hate to love, however that works. Yeah, however you want to do it. Um, Dalton, so who do you love to hate? Well, I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, an oldie but a goodie. Um, we're really not that old. Um, I don't want to make. I don't want to feel make you feel dated. Uh, but it's the German mechanic in uh, Raiders. Um, oh yeah, the, who has the the, the fisticuffs with uh, Indiana uh, as the plane swirling around. Uh, and I think that's a fun henchman. You know, you don't always need a henchman that's hanging out for the whole movie. Sometimes you just need a henchman that's clearly one of the the bigger and more experienced guys on the stunt team. Um, hey, let's get let's get that big really guy over here and um, have him throw down for a little bit. Well, I will I will meet you, I will see your German mechanic and I will raise you yet another German. Okay. I will raise you Carl from 
that oh golly, I can't even think of the name of the movie. It's just totally gone on my brain. Die Hard. Oh yeah. Wow. Good how, did I, how did I manage to forget? You know, Carl. He comes back and he's got the machine gun. Can't stop coming back. Yeah, yeah. Carl's and, great. Carl's Carl's a real fun henchman. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Carl. Um, really, really strong pick actually. Yeah, I, I want blood. Oh god, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Um, I'm gonna go ahead uh, and bring up one of those those henchmen that really serve. Here's the thing. Sometimes the henchmen really do take over the the place of the main villain in the story, and I feel like uh, that's very much the case for this uh, pick. Uh, and that's Mad Dog from the Raid Redemption. Okay. Um, whose name I cannot recall for the life of me, but along with uh, um, the lead of uh, the Raid, um, whose name I can see in my head perfectly, but I don't want to try and uh, script the pronunciation. Um, they choreographed all the fights in that film together, and um, wow, he's just an incredible fighter i mean we've talked about this that that film on, on this podcast before but uh just really wanted to to give him some big ups because he's fabulous absolutely uh, I, he, he's he's got a good screen presence i mean he's there for the whole movie he's doing a lot of shit talk um and really once he's dead that movie's kind of over uh, i mean yes there are there is a scene after that but th- that's the real story is uh these two brothers coming together to fight that dude yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to name a uh, a henchman now who's – I'm going to actually name an actor okay. who has frequently played a henchman and eventually sort of graduates up to the point where he becomes a full-out villain. But um, as a henchman, I'm going to talk about Bolo Young. I knew it. I knew it was I knew it was Bolo Young. Oh, oh. I love Bolo Young. Bolo Young's the best, dude. As, as Bolo specifically in Enter the Dragon. Yeah, he's a good henchman there. Uh, and eventually will, yeah, will uh, graduate to primary villain in Bloodsport. Yeah, and it just just tons and tons of fun. Uh, an, another villain or another henchman again, not the chief villain, not not a minion, not a not a uh, not a not a not a key villain. I'm but, sorry, I'm still thinking about Bolo's incredible pecs. Oh man, the, the, and the, his ability to flex them. Oh, it's so good, so uh, delightful. It's it, the most delightful. It's thing. It's an impressive feat that he accomplishes there. But also, Boba Fett, guys. We gotta yeah, get, Boba Fett's a goodie. Got to get some Star Wars love in there, and I love me some Boba Fett. Um, we we spent so much time talking about. Um, Tarantino earlier, and um, your your mention of Enter the Dragon uh, makes me want to uh, give some love to Kill Bill, specifically Gogo and Kill Bill. Oh, yeah. Uh, obviously, um, Gogo is uh, not taking inspiration from Enter the Dragon. We're, we're talking uh, Enter the Dragon took me to Game of Death, which took me to Kill Bill, obviously. The bride's uh, tracksuit and that, that sword fight at the, with the Crazy 88s is very much inspired by that not-completed film. Um, but, man, Gogo's fun with her, her mace chain ball thing. Yeah, good stuff there. Yeah, she's definitely nuts. Um, my, my I guess probably I'm I'm here probably at my favorite uh, henchman of all time. Okay, and, and it's a henchman whose um, evil or or badness you don't see much of. It's actually sort of a uh, an anti heroes henchman, uh, and that's Luca Brasi uh, from okay. The Godfather. I just I you know again you don't really see him do much bad, but you know that he does. And there's stories that are told uh, about things that Luca has done, but that's all happening off screen. And then, of course, he dies very, very badly in the course of about the middle third of uh, The Godfather. But one of my favorites of all time. So my last pick is a film that I don't think I have mentioned on this show before because it requires me to do some backpedaling. Um, my roommate Heath Huffman very recently made me watch an anime film. Oh. And I kind of liked it. Um I'm sorry. It's okay. I know that I've, I've got this whole character I've cultivated uh, where I, I talk about how anime is a lower art form and people who like it are perverts. And, you know, I do this whole thing about how it makes the entire island nation of Japan look bad. 
I have seen some anime that I like. Um, you you might remember that Akira was one of my favorite movies we talked about last year right. uh, for this podcast. Um, but I watched this film called Sword of the Stranger um, that I really went for, man. Um, and it's notable because the the villains of the film are decidedly evil. But their main henchmen, the actual heavy for the henchmen, or the, the actual henchmen, the heavy for the villains, not really that bad of a dude. Uh he he's he's a bad guy. I, I like a bad guy who is able to kick the protagonist's ass, not because he's a dirty fighter, because he's he's the the most uh, gifted uh, hand thrower in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that. You know what I mean? Um, Carl from from uh, Die Hard kind of has some of that. Yeah, he, I think he's so. he's not uh, a dirty fighter. Like he doesn't get the best of John McClane through trickery. He gets the best of John McClane because he's just better at him, better than him. Um, he is also significantly larger than he is. Yes. But um, uh, Sword of the Stranger has that going for it where – and I can't for the life of me um, remember the, the villain's name. But the heavy is just some Westerner that this, these uh, um, em- emissaries of the Chinese Empire have picked up um, as part of this foray, this excursion into Japan that they're doing. They've picked up this Westerner who just is a good swordsman. Uh, and so he just kind of hangs out with them and he's their – He's their dude. Uh, and he ends up, you know, fighting the lead of this film uh, despite the intentions of the bad guys. They don't want him to – they're like, no, no, no. He's like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to fight this guy. The entire reason I was working with you is so I could fight somebody that, that could whoop ass. I want to fight that guy. And I like, I like a henchman like that. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, I have a question. Yes. Can a, can, a, can a hero, can a good guy have henchmen? I'm going to say good guys don't have henchmen. They have teammates. Okay, well, I mean, there's like, you know... There's... An anti-hero can have henchmen, though, yeah. Because, you know what I was thinking of? Who are you thinking I was thinking about the Matrix. Okay. And I wasn't thinking about, you know, the other agents under Smith. Those would be his henchmen. Yeah, obviously. But I was thinking about the Oracle's henchmen. Okay. Seraph in uh, Reloaded. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That's a rad henchman. I, I, th- I think, uh, yeah, that's not a henchman. That's, those are just party members. Yeah, again, you but, know what I mean? but the defender of – she would be the big bad if you were Agent Smith. Okay, if that's If roles fair. were reversed and, you, and Agent Smith in his own story was the hero, which of course he would be in his story. Well, no, Neo would be his big bad. Oh, well, okay, perhaps so. Um, the, the Oracle would be more like um, Obi-Wan. Okay, yeah. But uh, Seraph, again, feels like Obi-Wan or the Oracle's henchman. Actually, the, Yoda, the, uh, the Oracle's Yoda. Yeah. Uh, Morpheus is Obi-Wan. So if Yoda had a guard, if we're going monomyth, obviously, yeah, obviously, yeah. So I don't know what, how you would file Seraph, but I really, yeah, Seraph really, is dope. He's good. Yeah, uh, good the, you know they wanted Jet Li, right? Oh, that'd been great. Yeah, I can't remember. There was something. He either had something going on, or like wanted more lines. Uh, he he wanted more screen time or something. And they, yeah. they were like, "This movie's already over two hours long. We can't really give you more screen time." Um, but yeah, that'd have been fun, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You look, you look at the that that kind of that traditional like collarless white shirt that kind of has those um i don't know what's called those loop buttons those frog buttons yeah is that what the one more time they're called frog buttons frog buttons is that they're called okay so those yeah i mean that's a something jelly is notably worn a lot Mm -hmm. throughout his film career so i think the visual nods are there would have worked that would have been cool so well there you go dear listener we'd love to hear your favorite henchman from the world of cinema you can give us all of those ideas and selections from yourselves via those magical means of social media already mentioned thus far in the show but now it's time to get down to business
dear listener, we're going to attempt to give analysis. We'll do our best. Because, uh, guys, this movie's a mess. Yeah, it's, it's... Thematically a mess. Confused. It's all over the place. It is. It is lesser McDonough, guys. Well, and I feel like a big part of the problem for me is... Um, Dustin and I were talking about this off mic. I, a lot of the time... And hell, we've talked about this on the show before... I feel like a lot of the times when you have somebody who's not an American making a film about America, you do get some great insights. And obviously, Dustin and I are not the only people who've ever talked about this. This is a conversation that's been had for quite some time now. Outside of perspective, I mean, everybody sort of knows this intuitively. For sure. I think there are some issues that do require require an insider's perspective. And I think the conversations that we're having about police violence right now have gotten nuanced to the point where I think you really do need an insider's perspective. And I don't know – I mean, obviously, uh, Martin is Irish. I believe he still lives in Ireland. Uh, I think he only comes here for work purposes. I don't know that he actually lives here. Um, Why would you if you were from Ireland? I mean, Ireland seems like a great place, but it's also kind of bad. It seems great outside looking in, but yeah, – some I, problems. They just recently got divorced and gay marriage. Uh, I don't that, think they have gay marriage yet. Yeah, no, and uh, yeah, yeah. abortion is entirely illegal too as a far Yeah, see, I mean, they're, they're bass backwards on some shit. I mean, they're just a little – you know, a bit more economically leftist than we are, but uh, especially uh, considering that this is well, this would be Northern Ireland. This uh, film uh, funds from the BFI. Yeah, uh, I, I really like that. I wish we had that. I wish the AFI was able to give people money to make movies sometimes. Uh, but anyway, um, it's a hard thing to talk about, right? Uh, it's been a real bummer. I would say. Well, it's been a bummer for the last thirty years, but I, I would say for the last. Four years especially, um, police violence has been a, a real, real bummer. Um, I, shit, I would say even five or six years. It's always been a bummer, but with the ability for us to see it as it unfolds, uh, the mass communication has made it a lot easier to dwell on these things and parse these things out. And again, I think these are things that should be dwelled upon. Um, and I don't feel like we're on everyone really dwells on it. Uh, it doesn't dwell on the fact that... Uh, Pena and Skarsgård's characters are racists. It doesn't um, dwell on the fact that they're misogynists or that they are um, transphobic. It does. It doesn't really dwell on these things. It names it. It names it. It checks it. It knows that they are, and it doesn't condone their behavior. But it doesn't really dwell on it very much, no. and that's kind of the problem. Um, it's the, right, like the thing that McDonough gets right. Dustin and I were talking about this again uh, off mic. Is the assumption of racism. And that really – I think that's part of it to get right. Yes, yeah. obviously everyone, all of these cops are racists um, in their own ways, sometimes very nuanced ways that they're racist. Um, but th- parsing through that doesn't really happen. What does yeah. it mean that they're racist? Why are they racist? When the SWAT um, how does that impact yeah. other people? Like when the SWAT team kills the bank robbers and Paul Reiser's character says, well, at least they're white this time. Yeah. Like, well, at least we're, we're not going to get yelled at. Yeah. So – and there's something there, but it's – I mean it's its a throwaway line. Yeah, There we, could be something there though, I, if sh- we, I should If we were say. to name this technique, uh, I think I might call it the nod to nuance. Okay. It, it nods to nuance. It, it, it doesn't uh, – it's, it's not putting a lampshade on the thing, but it does point out that there's lamp over there. Yeah. So it, it, it's a weird thing because there's a several moments in which this happens. There, There's a moment in which Reggie is sort of assaulted, mm-hmm. and uh, he says, well, I'm so glad you didn't choke me with an obvious reference to Eric Garner. Yeah. And then they move on. Mm-hmm. There's nuance in terms of someone's religious experience. And so a Quaker and their boring violence, but he does jump up ready to fight when people show up out of nowhere in his house, guns drawn. The joke 
joke um, about the word abhor is very funny. I will yes. say that. There's yeah. a couple of jokes about the word abhor um, and how it's kind of a weird word. Yeah, this, there's an assumption made later on where Reggie is drinking alcohol and he has recently converted to Islam. And he says he's a five percenter, which is a particular branch of Islam in which uh, the alcohol avoidance is not um, not really picked up. They do avoid uh, pork and some avoid shellfish. I had to look that up because I had no idea what that meant. Yeah, and well, that took me down like a, a 35 minute long Internet rabbit hole. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting idea in that so far as the image of God is only possessed by the black man mm-hmm. is the uh, the view of this particular sect of the nation of Islam. I don't want to misrepresent it, but it was very interesting. It is I, fascinating stuff. Go read about it. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth a look uh, at. I, I think uh, it's going to be weird if you and I talk about it for too long. Yeah, um, but I definitely think there's something something interesting about it. It's worth knowing, and again, that there are there's there are shades with uh, American black Islam. Yeah, know? well, and again, uh, there are shades to this film. This film is aware enough of the world to even make that reference, but doesn't really parse any of that. Out. Right. Uh, the question of can you read feminist literature and still wear hot pants? You know, that's that's a good question about nuance, yeah. and I, and I like that, and it's it's, it's interesting. But there's yeah. again not much done with it. And finally, Reggie's character, the, at the, the teasing end. out of uh, Reggie's sexuality, uh, because he's relocated to Iceland uh, and seems to be in a relationship with a, a trans woman, and there there's some parsing out of his sexuality, but it's done in a it uses language that's pretty gross. Yes. Um, and, and and so again, every time. It feels like Martin wants to engage with certain things about – what he wants to engage with is not these issues. He wants to engage with how our two leads see these issues, I think. He wants to engage with how two men who are incredibly intelligent but also incredibly backwards uh, view the world. And I think there's always something interesting. Characters who are like woke racists who are who, – who Still are, racists. Who are still racists but are also woke enough to like make fun of somebody for being Honduran. Right. As opposed to just being uh, Latino. Yeah, 200 people died in an earthquake in Peru. Who cares about that? Um, Peruvians? Yeah, there's 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 interesting stuff there. Yeah. But it's just, I really, I, and again, I don't know if it's a budget thing that's keeping him from getting to write, you know, film the entire script he wrote or what. Because this is a, a man who I was led to believe uh, from his last film is, is really kind of spiritually and emotionally and socially aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this feels like a different filmmaker's film. This feels like a less nuanced filmmaker's movie. Right. And, and, that, and that's where they ask these questions, which I think are interesting questions, but then we just don't spend any time with them whatsoever. The most interesting of those questions is about Reggie's sexuality and about what, what, his, uh, what his sexuality, his orientation would have to be uh, based on the relationship with this trans woman. If she is preoperative, therefore he's gay, but if she's postoperative, he's therefore straight. Well, and again, and then and y- use of that the bro- language, in, yeah, using that, that language, uh, and again, that's not Dustin's language, that's the film's language. Right, correct. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, even having that conversation is like, well, they understand uh, sexuality is fluid, but also they're having this gross conversation. Yeah, and, and and so what it does, it shows that even though they're woke enough to know that there are more options than sort of the standard menu of two options. Yeah, that but they're not woke enough to realize that binaries themselves are a broken way to have that conversation. Exactly. Um, and, and I feel like th- that scene really all together kind of encapsulate everything kind of weird and broken about this film and those two characters. Um, I, I think that really is the best uh, single moment on the film to kind of illustrate these issues. 
Yeah, the, the other thing that's, I think, infuriating about the movie that mm-hmm. it does is its intertextuality. It is doing that 90s intertextuality mm-hmm. thing so hard. But it thinks it's being cute because it's intertextual with, like, high art. Right, Simone de Beauvoir, you know, that's great. But, you know, also talks about Andre Breton mm-hmm. at a point, which is great stuff and stuff I really dig. But, it, you know, it references, inside references to uh, Pulp Fiction, the fact that would you give another man a foot rub? And then we see Reggie giving his Irish, you know, friend a foot rub. Yep. Or the Irish friend giving Reggie a foot rub. Which way was it? I can't remember now. I don't either. But, yeah, things like that. And and it's like, you know, Jean-Luc Godard, that's who I thought of more than anything when I was thinking about this moment. And it's sort of the way he would stack up these novel references, these literary references, these art references, these other film references. And I am very stupid, so I did not think of that. And, <laughs> I just thought it was coming across as a little fucking showy, to yeah, be honest. Well, it is. And, 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 again, there's this weird way in which it's very postmodern in a sense, but this is a thing that was revolutionary and, and designed by uh, Jean-Luc Godard, a way that was very popularized by Quentin Tarantino. And by the time we're in 2016 and we're watching Martin McDonough do it, it's just kind of tired. Absolutely. Um, and that, that was... Um I mean, this is a 2016 film along with a much more financially successful film that thought being self-referential makes you interesting. Uh, Deadpool um, from last year also, you know, doing the same things, pretending um, self-awareness is novel in 2016. And that's that's kind of why I'm irritated with uh, Deadpool as a character. I I like Ryan Reynolds just fine. I think he's very likable and I think he's a very silly boy. Um, but self-awareness does not – just like we talked about, the fact that Mark McDonough knows he's he's doing some things that are well-worn ground, the fact that he knows it and references it doesn't make it more interesting. It just right. means that, well, you should know better then. If you already knew what you were doing, why didn't you do it better? Absolutely. And, and the thing that Godard would do, and, and to a lesser extent Tarantino, but I think to a, mo, mo, a much more uh, effective sense, is those other references, those art references, mm-hmm. those literary references, mm-hmm. that by dropping that bit of information into the film, it becomes conversant with those things. Okay, rather than yeah. simply saying, I know this stuff, and this stuff is sort of about what we're talking about, but we're going to move on to and now yeah. for something completely different. And I, I think that's a really good point you make is uh, – it's not enough to just say, hey, do you see what I'm referencing? It's You have to take it a step further and, and be like, I'm engaging with this thing that has already done what I'm doing right now. Yeah. I, I'm commenting on that work specifically. I'm commenting on the work that I'm kind of um, taking some notes from. Yeah, exactly. John Le Godard would definitely name drop, and that's what's going on here. It's just a name drop, but he would name drop Vincent Van Gogh and Joseph Conrad, mm-hmm. and perhaps both of their attempts at suicide that were unsuccessful by mm-hmm. shooting themselves in the chest. But then that would become a real integral part to what happens later. Yeah. And what happens here is it's simply just a name drop. Um, and again, I like Martin McDonough, but I get a sense of I want you to know how smart I am. Look yeah. at, look, at, look at me being very smart. There's a little bit of that here. And uh, I didn't love it. No, nor nor did I. Don't make me feel like a dummy. Yeah, yeah. For again, for no good reason. Yeah. Don't don't mention names that you know I've heard, but I know I you know also know that I don't know why I know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so there, there's a weird literariness to it, but it's just simply that I'm literate, not a real literary sense. Yeah, there's a difference between being well read and uh, knowing the material. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm, I'm neither of those things a lot of the time. I'm well read in some aspects uh, or in some areas, I, I, sure. I'm but very specifically well read. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, it, it, it's that um, nuance. It, it's that attempt at nuance without actually being nuanced. 
the that, nod to nuance. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, the last thing I, I think we need to talk about is, again, the sort of just assumption that these are the way things are. Yeah. That 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 can be an interesting commentary, that these are racist cops, these are massages cops. They, these these are, are violent cops. Hyper-violent cops. But it never gets any better than that. And then what ends up happening at the film's conclusion is that their racism, misogyny, and hyper-violence gets used in a way that's redemptively violent that I think to be sort of icky. Uh, yeah, so what we find out um, early in the film, Alexander Skarsgård's character kind of adopts this child. Um, this uh, child's mother murdered his father, and now she's in jail, and he has nowhere to go. So Skarsgård's kind of adopted him. We find out very late in the film that the reason um, this this boy's mother murdered his father is because his father pimped him out for child pornography. Um that was being financed by uh, the heavy, or not even the, the the big bad of the film, Lord, what's his face? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, he cannot abide that. So even though they've been stripped of their badges, they go murder all these dudes, um, and that's the end of the movie. There is two really great moments um, <laughs> that I really like here, though, be- because I agree with you that I, I think the, this uh, violence that redeems them is kind of gross. Um, not only do they get away with all the money, they also do the right thing, and everybody lives happily ever after. And I'm not really wild about that. What I do like, though, before the shootout jumps off, Michael Pena uh, presents a, an idea to to all involved parties about a uh, philosophy class in which all the students uh, were told to uh, prove a chair exists. So the, the the professor puts a chair on a desk, and he says, prove it exists. And uh, one of the students writes four words. While well, everybody's freaking out, he writes four words. The chair, or uh, what chair? Sorry, it's two words. What chair? Hands it in and walks out. Um, then the shootout happens, um, and Skarsgård goes, "Hey, that was really dope, man! Like that, that was some fun shit to say to some dudes before you shot him." Um, obviously, a little bit of a Pulp Fiction there again. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Yeah, but I screwed it up. It's actually uh, proof that this chair doesn't exist." Uh, and he goes, "I don't. That's interesting. What's that mean?" He goes, "I don't know. It's like a zen cone. You're supposed to think about it." And then we are treated to this shot of this uh, above uh, bird's eye, God's eye view of all the dead bodies as they're turning the lights off. And there's something there. There is something there. Well, what did that mean? I don't know, but you're supposed to think about it. Yeah. Okay, I know that, Martin. I've seen movies before. I've been doing this for six years. Yeah, obviously, you should think about the movie you just watched. (sighs) It's that nuance without nuance thing. But I did like it. Yeah. It redeemed it enough. I was like, well, the fact that you were at least like, hey, I know this seemed nihilistic, but I really want you to think about how nihilistic it was. Puzzle on it because there was a moral thing yeah, there. Yeah, I they- do know that I was being a nihilist. I don't condone this nihilism. I want you to think about it. And again, obviously we're assuming authorial intent, but you can't just throw a line like, I don't know, you're just supposed to ponder it. You can't throw a movie, a line like that at the end of the climax of a film and not very clearly be interpreted as authorial intent. I think that's kind of a no-brainer. Well, that and early in the film, it talks about how any movie lives and dies on the script. Yeah, it makes that it makes that. You're exact absolutely right. Reference. You're absolutely right. Um, but I, what about you? What do you? What do you think about those final moments of the sh- the, or the opening and closing of the shootout? Do those work for you at all? Well, I mean, the, the the thing is, is that you're placed in a position to wonder. Okay, we have to make sure that this means something. And then we have to make the argument, does it, it make mm-hmm. sure it, prove this thing doesn't mean something? That, that's really the question that the filmmaker is yeah, placing. Prove this meant something. Actually, it's prove this doesn't mean something. Right. And, and the, the question is, well, I mean, I don't know. You know and again, it, it, is, it is like Zen, the sort of nothing mind uh, that you're supposed yeah, to do. Yeah, it's that, that, that kind of benevolent 
benevolent nihilism. Except neither of the leads of this film are benevolent in any way, shape, or form. No. They're actively malevolent. So how do you deal with the situation which is moral made by immoral people where their immorality goes unpunished, but you are celebrating the punishment of the immorality of others? Of the worse immorality. Yeah, again, and so the, what, what makes that moral judgment any better considering the terrible things that these guys well, have Well, and it's, it's, yeah, it's the where do we draw our lines because, yeah, obviously exploiting a child in any way, especially in a, a non-consensual sexual way, is disgusting. Um but also, this movie opened with these guys killing a mime for no reason. Yeah, just because they wanted to get a bunch of dope from him. Yeah, yeah. So it's killing somebody over drugs is a pretty bad reason to kill somebody. It absolutely is. Yeah, and and, and so it, it raises a whole lot of questions. Well, it raises a great question of intent, right? You know, all murders are murders. Does intent matter? Yeah. And that this is this is where the debate of hate, hate crimes legislation comes in. Yeah. You know, do we want to make it a a, pro, a, a crime more severe because of what's do we enter a, a a slippery slope? Do we enter a thought crime territory? I'm going to go ahead and say no right now, just to be clear. But, yeah. But uh, it's a, it's an important question. It to is ask. an important question to ask. Absolutely. Uh, and are are these men good men because they they kill people profiting off of the exploitation of children? No, they're not good men. Is the thing they did good? Well, maybe. No, I, I don't, don't know. know. I mean, they did they, maybe. They, they, they made These a, guys certainly aren't going to, you know, make any kids fuck anymore, but... Right. They made a wrong step in the right direction. There you go. You know, which is, again, still something of a mess. Still, Yeah, it's still a wrong step. So, uh, there you have it. That's uh, War on Everyone. Um, that's what we think about it. There's a lot to puzzle through, for sure. Um, I think you'd probably just be better off uh, watching Calvary, though. So, and uh, now that I've fucking uh, well, yeah, tipped yeah. the bucket there... You've done the thing. Go let's ahead. Let's go ahead and get into Elser instead. Shell for trash. I'm going to trash this movie. Uh, it's pretty worthless, honestly, as much as I like Martin. Uh, if everything we've said so far interests you, you know, that, that whole... Uh, uh, looking at the ripples of the 90s or if the the career of the mcdonough brothers interests you um yeah sure check it out but you definitely don't need it in your life um you should definitely watch the rest of the mcdonough brother work because i think uh seven psychopaths a film that much more interestingly interrogates uh uh, film violence, redemptive violence. Um, and then you should check out, uh, obviously that's Martin McDonough though. You should check out John Michael McDonough's cavalry as we've talked about. I mean, really that's the film you should be watching. That's the film that I think you and I would much rather talk about. It's just way too good for this show. Um, because that is a film that's really about nuance. It's only about nuance. It's only about, uh, it, it's about the nuance of self-defense, which I think is, uh, you know, an act of violence and self-defense, I think, is something that we can all agree is pretty morally right. And Calvary says, maybe that's not right. Yeah. Maybe you should lay your life down uh, when somebody um, decides that they have ill intent against you. Maybe you should let them kill you. Maybe that is the right thing to do sometimes. It's definitely a, a more interesting conversation than what we normally have when, regarding violence. Absolutely. Um, especially if somebody's uh, cause for violence is just. Uh, maybe you need to let them have that. Uh, maybe you're going to teach them something by letting them have this vengeance they think they need. And maybe you are the greater good is to teach this person that violence is, is bad. Um, holy shit. That sounds heavy, doesn't it? It is heavy. It's a great film. You should watch that instead. Um, I, I would also recommend um, some films we've mentioned already. Um, the, the incredibly able for our film, the incredibly infamous able for our film, uh, Bad Lieutenant. I think I might have fucked up his name, but that's okay. It's not important. No one cares. Um, well, he probably cares, but... You can go look it up. That's what the internet's for. The film Bad Lieutenant starring Harvey Keitel, a much better film about a crooked cop. Uh, also a film that's incredibly gross. I'm not going to pretend. I mean, it is a disgusting movie. It's a movie you feel like you need to shower afterwards. Um, it, it's a film that kind of sexualizes a rape a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here telling you it's a pretty movie, but it's better than this to be sure. Um, the, the nihilism is cuter and more interesting when it, it's, you know, 
older sometimes. I, I, I think when it's there's been less time to do it to death. Uh, and I also really did enjoy um, – it's very – I'm not even going to say it's like deliberately paced. It is kind of slow, but I enjoyed uh, the film Rampart uh, starring Woody Harrelson. Uh, I can't remember the filmmaker's name, but it's the uh, the same movie he did – or the same filmmaker he did The Messengers with, uh, with Ben Foster, where they played, you know, the guys that go tell people their kid got killed in the army. Mm. Um, haven't seen that. Uh, I'm not recommending that. Rampart, though, is a, a pretty good corrupt cop movie. Um, and don't get me wrong. I, I think corrupt cops are a – a rife uh, subject uh, matter. I just don't think this one really sticks a landing. Yep, there you go. Uh, very well said and well done, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am also going to say trash. I don't think you need this movie in your life. If you're bored and you like the McDonough's, if you're bored and you like these sort of cop movies, if you're bored and you're a big fan of Seven Psychopaths or Calvary, then fine. Uh, knock, yeah. knock yourself out. Fine. I mean, I'm not, yeah, I'm not mad that I watched it. I'm not it. mad that I watched it either. It's, I like having that completionist streak in me for sure. Yeah, but at the same time, this is this is definitely uh, the least of the lessers uh, of the McDonough brothers' uh, work up oh, to this I, point. Of all, you and I have seen basically, uh, we haven't seen any of their plays, obviously, because we live in a place where culture is hard to come by sometimes. Uh, but with the exception of The Guard, you and I have both seen everything. So all f- five out of six movies at this point, or Wait, wait, one, two, three, four. Yeah, four out of five movies at this point um, with the forthcoming uh, three billboards uh, later this year. Which we will definitely see. Uh, we will see. definitely see. We might. Hey, you know what? We might even make time to talk about three billboards you know, outside of Evan, Missouri. I'd be um, happy to do that. So anyway, um, at this point in the game, it's definitely between these two brothers. It's the the most least and lesser film. Yeah. It's not. Whew, it is miles behind every other film from them. But in terms of my um, Elsa's, I'm going to recommend a uh, a woke meta film where it's playing with genre tropes, but it's also having a conversation with contemporary situations, and that's this year's release, Get Out. Um, I think it's definitely worth your time. It is really, really brilliant. It's a good one. And, man, yeah. I Ooh. mean, uh, the, the hype is there, and the hype is real, and it belongs there. That's a film I didn't really get to talk. I, we, I was kind of taking a break from really talking about new releases when that film came out, so I just got to enjoy it and keep it to myself. And, honestly, I'm going to keep doing that. I kind of sometimes uh, some film experiences are not for you, listener. Yeah, and I, I don't really I have things I could say, but I'm not going to do that either. Just watch it. Yeah, it's great. Do it, and you should. Um, now, in terms of the referential, that movie made so many fucking millions of dollars. Yeah. They've probably already seen it at this point, but yeah, watch it again. Watch it again because it's so good. Now, in terms of what the McDonoughs are doing, they are living in the stream of this Soderbergh, this Tarantino, and this Martin Scorsese sort of filmmaking referentiality, this sort of hyperkinetic style. And I want to go back to the granddaddy of them all and recommend two films from Jean Luc Godard. I want to recommend 1968. Eight, I want to say 69's uh, Made in USA, which is uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's like a Walt Disney movie with blood. Therefore, it's a political film. That's a line from the movie, and it's definitely worth your time. And also in terms of just stacking up the referentiality and having a conversation about it, Detective uh, from uh, the early mid part of the 80s is what I want to say is, is, is the year in that particular film. Uh, both great movies, definitely worth your time, and uh, both are sort of, again, along the lines of sort of crime noir-ish game. 
gangsterish kind of stuff that's going on. And so uh, get some Godard in you because it's good for you. So uh, do indeed check that all out. And again, check out what we've just talked about. Go ahead and check out War on Everyone if you want to. Again, we're not re- we're not recommending it as something you ought to buy, but we're not also not saying it's not something you shouldn't see. Uh, take a look at it. Have a conversation about that. Have a conversation about film in general. Also, you might want to watch a movie and have a conversation about what we're going to talk about next week, which we're very excited to say that we're going to be taking a look at uh, Buckaroo Banzai and the Eighth Dimension. What is the subtitle of Buckaroo Banzai? Um, Buckaroo Banzai Adventures Across the Eighth Dimension. I just I've always called it Buckaroo Banzai. It's Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah, um, it's famous. You and I have both never seen it. Somehow, it's I, yeah. kind of decidedly in our wheelhouse, right? Yeah, absolutely. A culty, uh, campy. Science fiction, it's fun. I mean, yeah. it just feels like you. It's uh, Buckaroo Banzai across the the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Um, yeah, it's got a baby Goldblum. It's got a Peter Weller. It's got a John Lithgow. Like, how have we not? It's Christopher Lloyd, Ellen Barkin. Like, come on, what what are we doing here, man? We've been doing life wrong for a long so, time. So clearly, we should have seen this movie already, and now we're gonna. Yeah, there you go. So that's what's happening next. We're going to keep on having these conversations. You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I am a lineman for the county. Trash Honor Cast is brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. Our intro music is from Kavinsky and Love Fox. It's called Night Call. Our outro music is by Glenn Campbell. It's a song called Wichita Lineman. For more information on everything Good Trash, go to GoodTrashMedia.com. I hear you singing in the wire. I can hear you through the wine. And the Wichita Lineman